Tremors. One. Under Loomis Moon. A garbage junk dump in Yorkie Island of Cape Cod began to shudder and vibrate grotesquely. You might have seemed an illusion of moonlight on a quiet Atlantic that serene summer night, but a strange phenomenon near the beach was a snow mirage. It was unmistakable, as it was mysterious and ominous. The thin topsoil over the Island's refuge was trembling with an eerie drift, its sluggish and sickly motion, as if the moulds had turned into a vicious muck. Vicious muck, or more mokily floating on the harmonic current, oozing from the depths, without seeming reason, a slimy flux would step, stop, then pulse again, something at times, an unearthly bulge appeared like a tremor of festering postude, a scene ready to split open, almost as if buried alive, victim was straining to push out of a mouldy grave. A viewer might with stop heart expect to see the excrescent burst and a cadavernous hand and a bony claw in the night. But there were no witnesses to the shifting motion of the maddened rats that began to fling themselves wildly out of the garbage piles. The vermin were screaming with agony as they sprung into the night air. Their withering bodies were bizarre with their gravitations and screeching. They were covered not with fur, but with what seemed to be shells scuttling in the moonlight. The pinpricks of fire felt their rubber. Rodent body, belly, bodies, flash crazily over the dump with a metallic sheen until there was a quick change to the crimson of blood. The rats had cloaked in the sequence of death, a nightmare scene out of an animal hell. Routine poisons normally controlled the nutritious. Creatures everyone knew exactly accepted as living in the dump. Wolfins held inevitable rat pollution, population in check, and the cockroach broods were steadily contained by perforum and sodium fluoride. Since the prevailing southwest winds carried the stench conveniently out to sea, it's easy for the dump out of sight and smell of the Yankee. Yagi's homes to mean out of mind. Thus, no one marked, suspected, or theorized about the slimy mess of pre natural life seething through the stinking incisors. No one considered or remarked the addition of ideal for breeding. In geomatic multiplication, for cockroaches particularly, the ever-enlarging dump was a great progenitive room, warm, food, fetid, moist with food, so corn-compodily painful that everything crawling, creeping, and scurrying through the foulness would gorge in satisfaction. 
until the change in the Yankee's poison controls by unremitting the health officials, I set the balance of nature, had contrived to unleash a new appetite a bloodless garbage could not satisfy. A sigh from the dump's ugly acre or the northwest tip of Yagi, the island at which Travelog Pishrevsk. It sat like a bowler hat in a sea of cape. Some ten minutes eastward of Chatham, about ten minutes two miles wide and four miles long, running northwest with a central forested dome, a bowler bolded with breaches broken sharply by the steep cliffs and ridges. The village of Yardy rose in the west side, facing towards the cape above, a deep water harbour crowded with walking fishing boats. A small town made of tidy New England, grid of prim lawns and white spears and amid tree-lined red brick sidewalks, the old homes of long ago, wedding captains, stood totally behind boxwood hedges and whitewood fences, making great neighbours. Outside the town, the yardy houses were scattered on a lace of lanes, once cart and wagon roads, a challenge for the few cars that used them. Bikes and shanks, mare, were more likely on the island. Most of the buildings were crisp, white or grey, shingles and horn oak, what Thoreau had described as sober-looking, reflecting the Cape Cod virtues of thrift, neatness and independence. Almost all were toppled with window walks, from which yardy wives and children had, as long ago as the late 1600s, scanned the surrounding waters, the first sign of self, husband, son, brother, lover. The four hundred old inhabitants, odd inhabitants of the Yardy, were no nonsense. They pretty much held that what one faded Cape newspaper had noted for prosperity, a person would be ruled out of town. If they were not twenty-one years old, a sober, peaceable conversation, orthodox religion, possessed by sizable estate to the value of twenty pounds. In modern Yardy, this, this proscription took the form of discouraging tourists and all publicity about the island's very existence. One ferry a day, several more than equally behind Chatterman and Yardy, even in midsummer. It's not so much that the people were unfriendly as they were self-satisfied and not much uncharitable as parodical. They were quite proud of their wealth and their heritage. They were wealthy men, mariners, jack tars and fishermen, if not pirates and buccaneers. They preferred to keep the island free of the vacancies who flooded Martha Wineyard and Nuckchokat. The Yankee literates continued of sober, praiseful conversation. The redoubtable Johnson clan had produced one firebrand, a daughter named Jessica, who married to a Harvard biology professor, Richard Kahn, but her daughter, Elizabeth Kahn, visiting her grandmother, Alice, was more like a conservative old man than a, a mother. 
Captain Alice Johnson's view expressed with some force. Was that the woman, modern or old-fashioned, had enough to do making a home and raising children? This summer, Elizabeth was clearly a child no longer. At twenty, she was to start her senior year at Ratcliffe. In the fall, and not even a deep love for Yank Yardy, her grandmother would keep her returning to the island many more years. On this visit, she displayed some of her mother's independence by bringing a black classmate as her companion. The islanders were standoffish at first, but the young woman was warm, honest and dusky, beautiful. She won over the people, and they won her over. Elizabeth was delighted. She had feared a fuss for just some time herself. Wanted the island's quiet perspective to get her act together. She had barely passed her junkie junior year college classes and was restless without any clear idea of career ahead. It seemed an embarrassment of choices, a poverty in a convention. For her friend's part, Bonnie Tyler was in love with Yardy. At first sight, she had experienced expected to find the island as charming as Elizabeth had promised, but nothing had prepared her for the late eighteenth century world. She entered when she stepped off the small ferry. It's hard to believe the cold stoves were cooking. It was both enchanting and refreshing. She was amazed to find how quickly one learned to raise at dawn, washed with grass of incredibility, cold water, warm on one's hands and we end. Thankfully all the kitchen stove a kitchen stove and a feel of a steaming breakfast mug of coffee washed down the, uh, the heat of the stomach and the cockles of one's heart. She is half sorry to learn that these experiences had only been due to temporary problem of Captain Johnson's generator, which otherwise it supplied more lights and hot water. Bonnie's regret on a summer's day, on this summer's day, while playing panic, panic, mcnick the woods of Nagy's High Ridge was that Elizabeth could not join her. A captain who celebrated his seventy fifth birthday too physically the night before, arresting a bruised tone and frayed temper. Elizabeth has insisted Bonnie take the large basket. Though there's nothing to be saved from the island, the dogs the captain's dog Sharky, this small frisky animal was as brave as the breed, was nondescript. Two years before when an impotent youngster plunged from the captain's fish boat for an unscheduled swim, it's Sharky who had caught a body in the water to savage a mogo shark attracted by the boy's slashing. It was the day the dog's name was changed from Pooch. Just stay on the path, Elizabeth told, said Bonnie. She stared her off at the edge of the wildy woods. Don't go past the crying grave. You'll recognise it by its little waterfall there and picnic tables. Your path beyond you beyond goes to the town dump. You don't want to get that one. No one. No way. But he agreed, laughing. Dumps were just what was she was spending. Her life was spending her life leaving behind. Bonnie found a grove in a Sutherland, setting up a Maxfield Parish painting. This morning sun was slating down between tidal branches, dripping golden bars of a carpet of leaves and fine needles, inches thick. The air fresher seemed 
almost tangible to Bonnie, as she would rub it like a lotion between her palms and smooth it over her body. Being alone, she considered stripping, but thought it would be prudent in case anyone else appeared. As she spread her blanket, the woman noticed the dog was sniffing nervously where an opening in the trees led out to circle the grove. There was that was the way to the dump, she remembered Sharky's nose was probably picking up the odour. Smiling, Bonnie considered this time that it's better to have dollar senses. Let Sharky bump on his own way. She paid no attention to the dog's soft growling and turned suddenly to little yelking barks. It's Sharky's way of enjoying the outing. Bonnie thought as she lay down comfortably and the pine fragrance, a hushing trickle of small waterfall was magic on its own. The thought of the mind, quiet Japanese gardens and Zen corners, a settling peace of the simple intelligence of nature. The sky she could see vaulting above the treetops, the beautiful bird songs all about. Boston was another planet she could pleasantly call pleasantly to Sharkey. He came to her slowly. He wondered why his little body was trembling under the choking heart fingers. He panting if he'd been running hard. She couldn't turn head, his head toward the path, growling again. Bonnie considered it was probably the dog asking why Elizabeth wasn't with him. She kept stroking the small coat, but the trembling did not stop. On contrary, the woman felt the animal's heart beat faster under her hand. What's wrong, Sharky? she asked, casually. Somebody think bothering you? A dog's answer was to startle her. By leaping away the path, his body went rigid, his head up. His eyes high, his, his ears high, the nose, his nose forward, his left leg forward and lifted. He stopped running, and it was then Bonnie Turner heard another unfamiliar sound. It came out of the forest, a rusting at reassurance somehow. He moved short and threatening. He told himself quickly, it was not only a rustling of leaves, but it But there was no breeze, no motion, as far as she could peer down. A shadowed arm outside the grove. Suddenly, it probably snake, she suddenly, but not dangerous, or Elizabeth would have cautioned her. The woman turned calmly back to the blanket. Saki did not come when she called again. She saw his ears quivering and straining. She heard a sound come more louder and clearer now. It was a hissing that sent back electrical chills to her spine. He known. Coon hissing back home in Mississippi, but this is not the same. A dog was acting crazily. He be- he began to hop around as if the ground was hot. He was bobbing his head, yipping or whining a way that would only have been called hysterics in a human. The sibilance of clearly coming closer. Bunny jumped up on her feet and hurried to call the sharky. If there's some danger stirring, some such insuperable in. No dread in the dog. She is not going to linger in it, the, the place. It might be animals in the woods that Elizabeth had not thought to mention. At the same time, moment she became aware of a strange odour, the smell smelling acid that had been vaporised in the air nearby. Sharky sensed it before she did. It was making him cower and cringe down. In a way she had never seen, dog was pressing his shaking body against her legs, whining painfully. He lifted his body to hug him, comfort him. But to a shock, he spared his teeth, snapped at her, and raked her forearm on his claws. 
Crying out with surprise and pain, Bonnie dropped sharply to the ground. What uh, what got into you? The dog's faced her viciously. Finally, Dr. Petsy known. He became a snarling, ferocious-looking beast, seemingly frightened. Bonnie stepped back, backed away slowly. The dread beads of blood on her arm might be evoking some primitive instinct of attack. Dogs had a sense of wolves. With glowing adrenaline alarm, Bonnie grabbed up the aluminium packet box and held it in front of her breast for protection. But Sharky transformed again with quick, rough barks of furious challenge. He launched himself away from Bonnie into the dark, deep woods beyond the hissing now towards the hissing eyes. Later, moments later, Bonnie was riveted by a change of barking, the abrupt high whispering. It's about the moment later, Bonnie was riveted by a change of Sharky's barking, the abrupt high yelping. There was a cry of agony. Bonnie shivered, trying to see the dog for the healthy growth. She stepped out the grove gingerly. It was an animal out there that could hurt Sharky, could hurt her, but she'd known what had happened. The dog could simply have gotten into a patch of furs. Food that couldn't count for his exotic conduct earlier. One careful step led Donnie Tyler along the imperious path which went forward in the dump. The way that was through the moulds of leaves, three leaves, residual scores of yielding yodels, undeserved for the years except for occasional deer and small dinsies of the woods, raccoons, rats, cats, and like. Bonnie held wanted to listen, but there's not only silence. Even the birds were quiet. He heard no leaf rustled. There was no hissing sounds, no dog, no noise, no motion. Anywhere that could detect. Then she heard the whispering, whimpering, a gasping of breath. It sounded almost human, but it's shocking suddenly somewhere near. Bonnie took a turning step in the direction of soft cries and stopped by loud hissing. His angry voice of command to stay back, stay back. With all the voice, Bonnie called, Sharky, 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 here, Sharky. She bent, bent for full advance. Her mouth tightened for purpose. She could find Captain Johnson's dog. She would protect herself against whatever was lurking in the dark corpses in which he had dis- he disappeared. Moving forward again, Bonnie kept looking about alertly, feeling an idiot, but not knowing what kind of danger she could be appreciating, whether it might come at her in front, or the sides, or even from above. She swung the branch grimly, as if it showed she was not afraid, though she was quaking inwardly. Walking alone in flickering woods, beginning to get a faint smell of the garbage stench, fingered the mysterious hissing and stopped and startled so disturbingly, Bonnie wanted desperately to turn back. She gritted her teeth harder. She damned if she would show yellow. A strange, sullivant sound. She found herself sharply. I was obviously just kind of a snake. She was unfamiliar with the Sharky. I probably killed him on now. As then that Bonnie Tyler stepped sickly on a white body, almost entirely buried in leaves. Oh, crimson, where crimson 
where stained crimson blood. It was obvious that a thrashing battle had taken place. When she knelt down to brush the leaves away, she found Sharky lying inside. The dog's coat was packed with blood, blood. His legs were kicking a palsy of animal pain. Upon his presence, his whimpering sounds became louder. He looked up at her with a previous whine for help. Bonnie vomited. The dog had got had only empty sockets where his eyes had been. Two, I can't back down. Bring him back. I couldn't bring him back. But he waited on Elizabeth's arms. I wanted to, but I couldn't bear it. I'm so sorry. Elizabeth Carl braced her friend. We understand, Bonnie. No, you don't. I can't imagine how horrible it was. From his couch, Captain Ernest Johnson asked, Just his eyes, you say? Bonnie sobbed. I don't know, Alice. It's bloody all over. No more now, Elizabeth said family. She looked over her grandfather. I'm going to down to the sheriff. It was got a rubbish animal in the woods. Animus totally needs to know. Come on for Johnson. Stop the grandfather. Daughter at the door. Slow down, Elizabeth. It could have been birds, you know. Birds? Both women reading the word incredibly. The old man nodded. Sharky might have found a nest. You can get a herring gold mad. You find sharp and deep bill can dig. The captain heard a lack of conviction in his own voice. He wanted time to think about. The sheriff opened his tummy, bolting down the island, upsetting people needlessly. Bonnie Tyler ventured, drying her cheeks. They didn't seem to be nest or anything like that. It was just an ordinary garbage dump and a peaceful cape cord. No one ever imagined the conditions were perfect for breathing as a warm wound flooded moist with food so plentiful that everything creeping, cooling, and severing could gall to salvation. If a change of poison control was made, resulting in a vomit of control for sea modulation, now the giant mutant cockroaches are ready to leave their nest in search of human flesh. The nest! Paperbacks from Hell, Book 1, by Gregory A. Douglas, L. Kenter, and Will Erickson. Introduction.